MacCast, Monday, April 10th, 2023. This episode of the MacCast is brought to you by ZocDoc. More on them later in the show. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is the show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How are you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another week of Apple news, hints, tips, tricks, and all the goings-ons in our little Apple and Macintosh community. I hope you are having a wonderful day. Things are uh, are pretty nice. It's springtime. We've got Worldwide Developer Conference right around the corner. Things are happening. Things are popping. Spring is sprung. Stuff is coming up. I don't know. I often don't know how to start these shows. How are you doing? I hope you're doing good. Yeah, things we've got looking over the show notes here. We've got things to talk about here in the MacCast this week. We're going to talk about uh, what's happening with Apple in their processors and computers. We've got Tim Cook uh, talking a little bit about AR. We're going to get into some of his statements and what that means maybe for what we might hear about at Worldwide Developer Conference. We've got uh, older devices that may or may not be supported moving forward. We'll talk about which ones and why and how and all that stuff. And then we've got, of course, iPhone leaks. We've got some Apple TV news. Um, you know, new Hollywood people coming to make stuff for Apple TV+. And that's going to kind of round out the news for this week. And then we're going to get into some of your feedback. We've got a little follow-up on Display link and multiple monitors and M series Max. We're going to talk about memory and storage and uh, buying decisions and all that fun stuff. Uh, found a secret document that's hidden in many of our Macs. We'll talk about what that is and why. And then uh, try to help some folks out with some iCloud issues and iCloud syncing. That will uh, be this episode. So, should be a good one. I think we should dive in and talk about Apple's slowing their role when it comes to the M2 processor. This is coming from a 9 to 5 Mac story. They say that the site, the elect, has sources in the supply chain that have noticed that Apple halted production of their M2 chips back in January and February. This was right after, you may remember, that Apple had announced the M2 MacBook Pros and the M2 Mac Minis you know, M2 Pro, M2 Max, MacBook MacBook Pros. So it might seem like an odd timing. Uh, turns out it probably really isn't. The piece said that production started up again slowly in March with production at about half the level it was in past years. And like I said, maybe surprising, but really not too surprising. I don't think really unexpected, especially on Apple's part. They commented on this on their first quarter call that, Things were slowing down. Economics were changing. Uh, Apple did notice a significant drop in year-over-year Mac sales in that first quarter. They did $7.74 billion versus the $10.85 billion the previous year. So they had a huge, huge 2022 uh, first quarter, and 2023 was not quite the same. You might remember, you know, things were in lockdown. There was a lot of remote work happening. People were realizing they needed new machines. You had the M1 series MacBook Pros that were just announced, and those were massive. People were waiting on those. So you have all that stuff going on, and then uh, 
now you have, you know, rumors of M3 systems that are right around the corner. So that's going to be happening. Uh, plus, really, stuff from Apple's just dang good. And there's not much difference between an M1 or an M2 machine. So there's not, in my opinion, a lot of incentive for a lot of customers to upgrade if they've already gone through upgrades, say, last year. So I think all of these things are just little adjustments to supply chain. So a Apple ramped up for the launch of the M2 MacBook Pros and Mac Mini, all that stuff. They had enough processors. Hey, looking at what we're selling, let's slow things down a little bit. Let's hold off for January, February, and uh, we'll kind of ramp back up and we'll get things back in line. And this often happens in their manufacturing cycle. So you might read the news and see this and think, oh my God, things are really, really bad. They're not as good as they have been, but you know, we're trugging along and everything is all right. So some examples of that slowing down we saw this week, uh, Canalis had their latest numbers showing PC shipments over in Western Europe. Overall, PC shipments were down about 21% in 2022. Apple did all right. Uh, they were hit a little bit harder with Mac sales, but over on the tablet side, they were able to gain tablet share with the iPad over in Western Europe, going from 43.3% up to 51.8%. Overall, sales were flat between the second and third quarters. So seeing that slow down there in Western Europe, over in the United States, IDC reported that worldwide Mac shipments were down 40% year over year in the first quarter. And we're going to find out what all this means for Apple here pretty soon because Apple did announce that they're going to hold their next quarterly results call on Thursday, May 4th. Interesting. May the 4th be with you, right? That's Star Wars Day. Wonder if there's something related to that. No, <laughs> I don't read into those tea leaves. I don't think Apple's doing anything with Disney, but wow, that would be a that would be something, right? No. But next quarterly results call on May 4th. And uh, yeah, we'll see what's going on with Mac sales and Apple sales and all that sort of stuff. But I think it's going to get a little bit slower. And Apple is probably already planned for that. They're usually ahead of the game on this and aware of what's happening. They've got new stuff coming. So maybe that's going to be the game plan. We'll talk about that here in a second. Also, we got a little bit of display news this week. And maybe related to some of the slowdown stuff, Apple's plans for a new 27-inch ProMotion mini LED backlit display. That's been something that's been rumored for a while. It looks like those plans may be on hold, at least for now. Uh, we heard in the past from display analyst Ross Young that Apple was planning this new display. There were also reports that suppliers had already shipped some panels, likely test ones, uh, last year. Now Young is back this week saying that those plans are on hold though he didn't really specifically say exactly why. Uh, several times he reported that the display production was hit with delays. So I think it was even originally rumored it might be out in 2022 and then maybe early 2023. Now it looks like Apple is just has decided to wait. And it's not clear if that's because there's technical, te technical delays or technical issues with that product or... Simply, they're just looking at the market forces and going, yeah, maybe it's not time to uh, to do a new display at this point. Young also said that production for panels for the rumored 15-inch MacBook Air are underway. He's estimating that we could see a 15-inch MacBook Pro by late April, 
maybe early May, Apple making an announcement or doing a release. A lot of us, myself included, think that if uh, that's going to be the time frame, they may wait to kind of show that off at Worldwide Developer Conference in June. Could release early. We'll have to wait and see. The design is expected to mirror the latest 13-inch M2 MacBook Air design, so almost the same, just in a larger form factor at 15 inches. And whether it will have an M2 processor or be the first M3 MacBook, that is still up in the air. We don't really know. So we're going to have to wait and see actually what Apple does. Tim Cook did an interview with GQ this past week that came out, the Global Creativity Awards 2023 issue of the magazine. In it, he's asked for some of his thoughts on AR and VR technology. I think they were probing a little bit to find out what Apple's next steps might be. And he makes some interesting statements uh, in that piece. But what I noticed was several Mac outlets uh, tries, tried to really, I think, leverage that piece to allude that he was somehow teasing an AR VR headset announcement coming from Apple or AR VR tech coming from Apple. I think that was reading a little bit into it. He does talk a lot about how uh, technology is, you know, influencing things, how the idea of overlaying virtual work over the real world could really advance collaboration, advance creativity, help you accomplish more things and think about really how to do things in a different way. He discusses in it how Steve Jobs taught him to not, quote, get married to your convictions of yesterday. This was kind of alluding to earlier statements where he thought or said that their competitors weren't really doing uh, well with AR, specifically, I think, talking about Google Glass and that, you know, really wasn't that interesting of a product or probably not the next big thing. And, um, you know, that glasses are headset, I guess, really wasn't the next big thing, that it was going to be something more like traditional glasses, something to that effect. And we know from a lot of the rumors that Apple's design is going to be very much like a VR headset, at least in the first iteration. So what people are reading in here is that Cook has kind of changed his mind, admitted that he can change his mind, uh, that when shown differently, you can look at things you thought were wrong in the past and change that and go forward. This was something that Steve Jobs was very famously good at. If you remember the video iPod, right? He said there would never be video on an iPod and then promptly released a video iPod. So a lot of people reading that stuff in. He also discussed uh, Apple's core belief of needing to own the primary technology in order to innovate and to not simply follow what others are doing and really create something different. So all of these things are very interesting and they're all very much Appleisms and Apple things. I don't know if I read that into that means that they're going to do an AR VR headset or he tipped his hand to show that they're working on an AR VR headset. Yeah. Um, German, Mark German, still believes that Apple will showcase an AR VR headset at Worldwide Developer Conference along with the new operating system Reality OS. And that's probably the bigger part of that conversation, along with a software development kit for developers. So if that product is coming, and there's a lot of debate on when, where, and how, right? We've talked about that on previous episodes. You would expect Worldwide Developer Conference to have a lot of conversation about it because they're going to need developers to really step up and start to build software and applications for that. And I think that's kind of the biggest question at this point is what is Apple going to do different in the space that uh, 
others haven't been doing? How are they going to change and innovate it? And a lot of people are putting a lot of pressure on Apple to do very, very big things. Uh, so if Apple really is to succeed, it seems like they need to really deliver, and this is something they're good at, deliver a different narrative around what we're going to use AR and VR for and how we're going to use it. And they're really going to need to show, I think, people how this is going to be the next big thing, how this is going to be the next sort of iPhone changing bit of technology. And it remains to be seen. No one else has done that yet. And it remains to be seen if Apple can pull that off. Now, again, they've been successful at it in the past. If you look at things like the iPod changing how we do music and the iPhone changing how we communicate. So it's going to get really interesting and, and June could be very, very exciting for us Apple fans. Now, um, a recent Piper Sandler survey of 5,600 teens kind of illustrated how much the current technologies has, haven't really made an impact yet. Um, they said just about 29% of us teens say they own a VR device, which I thought that was actually a pretty big number. Almost almost a third of US teens actually have a VR headset. But where when it came down to it, a lot of them weren't really using them that frequently. So 14% said they use them weekly, just 4% saying that they use them daily. And 52% said they were either uninterested or unsure about buying a VR device in the future. So the market is not very excited. And I think part of the reason is likely because the big focus to date has really been games and gaming, which I think is a great application for VR, but we really haven't pushed the boundaries of the AR tech. And I think that's going to be a big part of Apple's focus. This idea of being able to overlay a digital world on your real world to spark and enhance creativity and thinking and advance that sort of stuff. And I'm sure AI is going to play a big part of it now, and that's going to come into play. We've heard Apple uh, doing some things in that space. Of course, other companies pushing that forward really, really quickly, um, which we can debate about too. But finally, you have both uh, Meta and Sony really struggling to make a splash with their VR products. And Ming-Chi Kuo stated this week that his belief is that Apple's offering of an AR VR headset and that sort of experience may be the quote last hope in convincing market investors that AR and VR devices are really the next big thing. And we've seen this happen in the past, right? Smartphones were kind of languishing until the iPhone. And then there was this huge revolution of technology that carried us for years and years and years. And I think a lot of people are seeing Apple as potentially the company that does that in the AR VR space. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know if I'm convinced that they can pull it off again, but they've done it many, many times. And like I said, I am kind of super excited to see what goes down and what happens at Worldwide Developer Conference. Hopefully that turns out to be the big announcement, right? If not, we might be waiting a whole nother year if Apple hasn't really figured out. And as we know from past conversations, there's been some internal debate on whether or not Apple should push forward with whatever they have currently or if they should wait until it's a little bit more refined. And they can change things up until the last minute. We've known that they have done it. So we've heard rumors where they were going to announce something and at the very last minute decided to pull back and kind of change direction. 
and uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, interesting June and I'm definitely looking forward to it. Another big part of Worldwide Developer Conference, as you may or may not know, is going to be announcing new features and information about upcoming operating systems for Mac and iOS devices, iPads, Apple TVs, Apple Watches, all of that sort of stuff. And uh, a big debate around that is, hey, what devices are going to be supported? Is my old device actually going to be able to run the new features of the new operating system? And a Twitter leaker who has been reliable in the past over on Mac Rumors, I think this was, claimed that in early May, Apple services support for devices running older operating systems might be going away. We know that Apple's services business is a big new part of their business. I think it's the second largest piece now behind the iPhone, if I'm remembering the latest numbers, somewhere in that range. And uh, specifically, this leaker stated that all Apple services, except for iCloud, um, are going to require at least iOS 11, macOS 10.13, watchOS 4, and tvOS 11. With older devices, specifically devices running either an A11 Bionic, an A9, or an A9X processor, not being supported, Apple dropping support for those devices. That would be a little bit odd. Um, And this has happened in the past, right? With new operating systems coming out, users will get a push notification prompting them to update their operating system to something newer. Um, So we'll have to wait and see if Apple makes this switch. You know, with the big push for services, you'd think they want to allow... access as long as possible on the most devices now those specific devices are getting pretty pretty long in the tooth so we could see them make this change there were also some leaks about which devices are going to be able to run ios 17 and ipad os 17 basically the latest versions of ios and a lot of confusion surrounding different rumors and different leaks that were coming out. The first one was the one I I think frightened people a little bit. It stated that the iPhone 8, iPhone 8 Plus, iPhone 10, first generations of the 9.7-inch iPad Pro, the first generation of the 12.9-inch iPad Pro, and the fifth-generation iPad were not going to be able to run iOS 17. These are all devices that could run iOS 16, And it's largely believed that iOS 17 is going to be more of a refinement operating system, that there's not going to be a lot of huge new features uh, coming in that version, uh, that Apple's going to look at speed, performance, stability, security, all those things. And so a more reasonable report later came out claiming that iOS 17 will be able to run on any device that currently runs iOS 16. And so all this stuff goes pretty far back. I think Apple does overall a pretty good job at supporting older devices, older computers for a long, long time with their operating system. And so I would expect them to continue that with iOS 17. But again, we're going to find out here in uh, in June at Worldwide Developer Conference. As far as new features, we haven't heard a lot, like I said, around iOS 17, which I think is what's kind of leading to this idea that it's going to be more uh, refinements but we did get a report this week that the control center might get a full redesign in ios ios 17 unfortunately 
no specifics as to exactly what Apple would do beyond that they're likely going to give users the ability, more options to do customizations, kind of move things around. I think really design your control center or lay out your control center the way you want, get it customized for uh, the way you use your device, you use your phone. So again, we're going to get a, a sneak peek here in June. We won't have long to wait um, and we'll have to see what Apple does. We're at the point now, I think, when it comes to iPhones, iPhone 15, that uh, we're starting to get leaks and renders and information, giving us a better idea of what the iPhone 15 might look like. We're seeing components that uh, people are purporting to be actual iPhone 15 components, and they're definitely hinting at some of the planned design changes and features. One of those is the screen. And we got some images this week that claim to be iPhone 15 Pro Max display glass. And what's interesting about these is they show incredibly thin bezels, just 1.55 millimeters, which would be, according to the report, the smallest of any iPhone or smartphone really made to date. So incredibly thin bezels, going to be almost unnoticeable. I don't even really notice them on the current iPhone, but I think they're like just over two millimeters. So this is a significant change. And uh, so that'll be nice. There were also a bunch of uh, renders based on CAD files. So I think CAD files start to come out to the case manufacturers and then folks take those specs that get leaked and then turn those into different renders. And what's interesting about that is it starts to show us a little bit about what the design actually might look like. So big thing we saw this week is that new titanium frame that's expected to be on the Pro models, the more rounded edge design. So we've had that really squared off design for a few years now. That's going to be smoothed out and lessened a little bit. And I think it looks really nice, really nice and classy. I don't know if that plays into the smaller bezels. Um, there is going to be a slightly larger camera bump uh, for, you know, better camera components, upgraded comp camera components, especially on the Pro models. We've got all those rumors of the new haptic buttons. So the single piece volume button, it's not going to have the gap in between. And uh, that'll be haptically driven. We're expecting more taptic engines in this year's iPhone. And then kind of one of the other big changes although I don't think it changes the design too much, is the switch to a USB connector from Lightning. It obviously looks a little bit different, but those ports are similar in size, similar in terms of shape and design. So I don't think that changes the overall look too much, but should be a nice looking phone. Uh, really going to be a refinement on the design, not a radical design change. I don't think the iPhone really has had a radical design change in a really, really long time. They kind of play with the the edges and the band and you know whether we have glass or metal on the front but overall it's been this sort of candy bar phone for for many many years and just gets thinner i guess the camera bump was kind of a big change at one point but it's looking pretty good uh i'm curious to know are you excited about uh the iphone 15 is this a, a big year for iphone or is it going to be again more of a refinement year i think overall we've kind of moved into that space where folks aren't upgrading their iPhones as frequently. Um, you know, us early adopters, crazy people like myself, obviously are upgrading every year. But, uh, you know, you're not gaining 
massive new improvements and things like that. I guess uh, if they get that new telephoto lens in there, especially on the iPhone 15 Pro Max, that's going to be kind of a nice upgrade for people who really like the camera stuff in their iPhones. So you excited about this one? Uh, shoot me some feedback. Send me an email, maccast at gmail.com. Um, and then we did get this week a report that the iPhone 15 models are going to all use the same display materials from Samsung uh, in the full lineup. So the iPhone 15 Pro models and the iPhone 15 models getting the 12th generation display materials versus 11th generation. Uh, 12th generation display materials were already in the iPhone 14 Pro models. So the, the big change here is that the um, the whole lineup is going to share the same generation of display materials. I don't know that that matters too much. It's just one of those technical things. I don't think most people can tell the difference. Uh, the iPhone 15 models are not expected to get some of the more advanced features like ProMotion or Always On Display. So it really doesn't change the actual feature set. It's just changing basically how the display is put together and uh, built. So just something to note. A small little enhancement, and that also came out uh, in the rumors this week. Moving on to some Apple TV Plus news. The Hollywood Reporter says that a new dark comedy is coming from producer Jonah Hill. It's the story of a damaged Hollywood star who must face his demons and atone for the past after being blackmailed by a video clip. The film is called Outcome and will star Jonah Hill and hopefully Keanu Reeves, according to the piece, who says they are in negotiations with him. So he's looking like he's going to be signed on to uh, be part of the film. Jonah Hill is co-writing with Ezra Woods. And uh, this is kind of the second project that uh, Jonah Hill is working on for Apple or with Apple, I guess. Uh, he's currently involved in another Apple original film about the Grateful Dead being directed by Martin Scorsese. And I think we talked about the fact that Apple is kind of doubling down on films, it seems like, over the next year because uh, they're going to start releasing more of those into theaters. They want to get more into the award shows. Um, you know, they had that big win with Coda where they won Best Picture, first streaming service, I think, to win Best Picture, if I'm remembering correctly. And uh, then last year, they kind of didn't have a lot of big movies come out. Um, so focusing more on that this year, obviously Jonah Hill and Keanu Reeves and Martin Scorsese, all really, really big names in Hollywood. Apple TV's Ted Lasso is also back. Uh, many of you may be watching it. It's one of my favorite shows on Apple TV. Um, I'm kind of watching it with my family, so we're slowly getting through it. We haven't gotten uh, gotten into uh, really past the first episode yet, but I'm looking forward to watching more. And many of you are obviously watching it because according to recent Just Watch numbers, it's been holding tight since it came out to uh, the top 10 uh, streaming shows. It was in the number four spot, I think, last week on Just Watch. Um, and then it's been there for the past couple weeks, and it really was the only Apple show in the top 10 until this past week when uh, the new film Tetris was released. And I watched this, and I love historical sort of docudramas, I guess you call them, or just any film that delves into history. And uh, wow, the story of Tetris, who really knew, is kind of really amazing. 
And uh, that one hit the top 10. It was ranked uh, just ahead of Ted Lasso on the real good top 10 streaming show stuff. So if you haven't seen um, Tetris, I would definitely take a look at that one. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank a couple of show sponsors, starting with ZocDoc. So, okay, to be honest, um, I'm not the type of person who's always the best when it comes to my own medical care. And if you're like me, you can fall into that trap when you start to feel sick or you have that weird bump or something like that, right? You go to the internet and you kind of try to diagnose your own condition instead of just calling a doctor. Yeah. And you, as you likely know, that's a bad idea because suddenly you have everything under the sun and that's probably not what you have. And part of the issue for me is I don't like looking for a doctor. I have trouble finding a doctor, especially one who can see me right away. So I get frustrated. And that's why I now use ZocDoc. They have thousands of medical professionals on ZocDoc who are there to help when you need them. And they can provide you with real, actual expert care, the care that you need, not like what you get from the internet. And so no more questionable diagnoses from some random internet site, no more doctor roulette or scouring the internet for and finding doctors with questionable reviews. On ZocDoc, you have millions of people who use their free app to find a book and book a doctor in their neighborhood who is patient reviewed and fits their needs and schedule just right. So go to ZocDoc.com slash MacCast to download the ZocDoc app for free and then you can find and book a top-rated doctor today, many available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash MacCast, ZocDoc.com slash MacCast. And a big thank you to ZocDoc for their support of the show. I'd also like to thank my show sponsor, Simply Safe. You know, who's planning to do some spring cleaning this year? I know I am. Uh, you can dust those hard to reach places, clean out that closet. You know that one that's full of junk. Yeah, get that cleaned out. Well, as you're doing that, here's my advice clean your house, then protect every inch of it with Simply Safe home security. I recommend it to everyone. What's great about Simply Safe for me is that you are in control. You're in control of choosing the system you want, choosing the options that fit your home and your needs and the security of your family. You can start by picking a starter system or you can fully customize it to cover everything in your home. You're also in control of the setup, which is super, super easy and you're in control of the entire system with their easy-to-use app. With it, you can lock and unlock your doors. You can access your cameras, arm and disarm the system from anywhere. Simply Safe is designed with cutting-edge technology and backed by 24-7 professional monitoring that costs under a dollar a day. That's less than half the price of a traditional home security system. In an emergency, Agents use fast protect technology only from Simply Safe to capture critical evidence and verify that a threat is real so you can get a priority police dispatch. It's why CNET named Simply Safe Editor's Choice for 2023. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com/maccast. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off your order. 
with interactive monitoring. That's simplysafe.com slash MacCast. There's no safe like Simply Safe. And a big thank you to Simply Safe for their support of the show. We've been discussing recently the ways that you can support multiple multiple displays on uh, M1 and M2 Macs that only support a single external display. This was kind of a limitation when the M1 series processors first came out. Um, these are the base level ones, the one you might, the ones you find in, say, the MacBook Air, where they only support a single external display out of the box from Apple. And so we had a question come in. One solution to this is to use DisplayLink technology and a DisplayLink adapter or dock along with the DisplayLink software for your Mac. I had not had any personal experience with this, but I, I know folks that have used this solution. We talked about some of the advantages. We've talked about some of the challenges, but I really wanted to hear from someone in the community who has had some direct experience. And luckily, this week, we got a little feedback from Michael, who was able to share his experience along with a recommendation. And so here's what Michael had to say. Hey, Adam, my name is Michael. I live just outside of Chicago, and I wanted to give you some feedback on your most recent episode of the MacCast and DisplayLink adapters and docking stations to use with M1 Macs. Uh, one of them just died on me. Uh, previous to the Apple Silicon introduction, I was using a Dell D6000 uh, USB-C docking station. I've used that with a couple of Windows computers at a different job. And then uh, a job a couple of years ago, I had a 15-inch Intel MacBook Pro that I used. Didn't need DisplayLink necessarily back then with an Intel Mac, but I did use it uh, throughout the transition into Apple Silicon. Now I've got an M1 MacBook Air that I've had since 2021, and it worked wonderfully. I had two Dell, a 27-inch, uh, just two case screens, uh, 1440p. I've been using those uh, exclusively for several years now. Um, actually, since about 2018 was when I first got those two monitors. So it's been through Intel MacBook Pros and now an M1 MacBook Air. And I even have a personal M2 MacBook Air that I had tried with the Dell D6000 dock, and that worked great as well. Display link uh, with only minimal hiccups. Usually when there was a problem, I would either have to restart my computer or check Display Link's website and download some new firmware or the new version uh, of the software. I would say about a month ago, that Dell D6000 dock died. It was already a hand-me-down, so it was from about 2017, 2018, so it lasted five years. But it just stopped working. I did all the firmware upgrades and tried to fix it with a Windows computer, and it didn't work uh, with my Windows computer here at this job. I get to use a Windows machine and a Mac. Uh, so what I ended up doing is a little bit of research. I found several docks that did support a display link and multiple monitors for M1 MacBook Airs and M2 MacBook Airs. But what I settled on was uh, something from NewQ. Uh, it's found on Amazon. It's a USB-C docking station. And pretty cool, I have to say. An article had just come out about it. I forget where I read it. Uh, read a review on this unit. Someone had a, a review unit, but it's a pretty great device. It's a, a more of a vertical dock. The Dell D6000 was flat and horizontal. This is more of a more of a vertical dock, I guess you could say. It's got HDMI, DisplayPort, Ethernet, USB 3.0, USB 2. It's got uh, SD card slots. It's got audio and microphone jack slots. 
it's got power delivery too. Uh, the power delivery is, is, is solid. It powers anything from a MacBook Air to a Lenovo ThinkPad that I also use for work. Uh, you can use up to three displays with this a new Q dock. Uh, you can do the latest 4K, 60 megahertz, I'm sorry, 60 hertz 4K display, high def, uh, connected to just about anything. And it works great with Apple Silicon. As long as you download and install the DisplayLink software, it works great. I'm very happy with this unit. It was on kind of a discount when I bought it through work from Amazon. It's a 16-in-1 USB-C docking station. The model number is NQ-DK-04, in case anyone wants to check it out and look it up. But I have to say, uh, this is a fine replacement for the Dell D6000 dock, which I could have bought another one. Uh, they are available, brand new out there on Amazon and Dell.com and other places. But I wanted to try something different, and I ended up with this new Q dock. And just beware when you are shopping for it on Amazon. There's one for Windows and one for the Mac. So if you're going to use a Mac most of the time, like I do with Apple Silicon, um, make sure you get the one that's uh, made for Mac usage. But I can tell you this new Q 16-in-1 dock that I use with my M1 MacBook Air. That Lenovo ThinkPad, I plug it in, and it works just fine. The screens work just fine. Everything works fine. So it may not matter. All I know is that I wanted to make sure I got the one for uh, Apple hardware uh, from UQ, and I did that, and I'm very happy with it. So there's your feedback. Hope this helps. Love the podcast, Adam. Been listening from the very beginning. Thanks for all you do. Hey, Michael, thank you. I really, really appreciate that uh, review. And hearing from someone who actually has a product and likes it is always uh, great for the community. So we appreciate your your contribution. And it sounds like a great uh, option. I will have a link to it in the show notes at MacCast.com. So don't worry if you didn't write that down or you missed it. You can go to, to MacCast.com, find it in the show links, and I'll link directly to it. The new Q Display Link 16-in-1 USB dock station for Mac. And it's good to know that it actually works cross-platform too. That is uh, kind of an advantage of using this technology, right? Is that you can, if you're in a mixed environment, a lot of us do have to use non-Mac computers, maybe for work. Luckily, I don't, but uh, there's a lot of people out there that do. And so it's it's great to be able to use a single setup with a machine that you swap in and out. I actually swap in, out my, swap in and out my personal machine with my Thunderbolt dock, both of them Macs, one an Intel, one an one, uh, M1. And that works great, but I do have to use some display adapters uh, for uh, for my DVI monitors. So um, looking to upgrade my monitors some point here in the future. I think we had a conversation about that. But again, thank you, Michael, for that great recommendation. Question came up this week that I think has become a pretty common one especially with the release of Apple Silicon, uh, Andy wrote in and he said, hey, you know, I'm looking at transitioning finally from my old Intel machine over to a new Apple Silicon M2 Mac and looking at memory configurations, you know, my current Intel system, I have maxed out, I think he had 64 gigabytes, maybe even more of uh, of memory and while we have more options now with macbooks and macbook pros uh with apple silicon because originally i think we were limited to just 8 or 16 gigabytes with the first very first released models and then they kind of bumped that in the pro models i think up to 32 and now i think we have options all the way up to potentially 96 gigabytes of ram 
But the question became, how much RAM do I need for my M series Mac for my Apple Silicon? Is it different? And, you know, talk about how things have changed. And so he was looking for a little bit of advice. I think one of the reasons it's become a little bit more complicated is because Apple has sold this idea of their new unified memory architecture. You have an entire system on a chip. Everything is integrated. There's a lot of advantages to that. And so the question becomes, you know, in the past, I felt like I needed 64 gigabytes or 96 or even 128 to do the real high-end stuff that I'm doing. Is that still the case? Has that changed? Apple's kind of made this conversation that, you know, the way things are architected now it's not the same. And so with Apple's new SOC, uh, memory is all in the same package with the CPU, GPU. It's kind of on the same die. Uh, I'm probably getting the terminology incorrect, so uh, feel free to correct me. But the idea is it's all together. And the advantage of that is you can have high bandwidth very low latency access to that. Um, they've also added very, very high performance SSDs. Everything's soldered on the motherboard. And yeah, that makes it not upgradable, but it allows Apple to do things with the architecture to make it very, very highly optimized along with the software so that everything is fast and optimized to take advantage of the architecture. And for most people, I think that does mean you'll be able to do a little bit more with less. And, you know, I'm going to say to a point, right? So Mac OS has been tuned and optimized in the memory, application memory usage to be very, very efficient, especially when apps are running in the background. So it does a very, very, very good job of sort of managing that. And then you couple that with very, very fast SSDs. That means, you know, old things that used to slow your system down when you didn't have enough memory, like memory swapping. So swapping memory out from the the internal RAM over to the hard drive is far less of an issue. That can happen very, very quickly, uh, very, very easily. Obviously, having everything in memory when you're working, actual you know, physical memory is still the most ideal situation, but it's become less of an issue to have memory swaps and those sorts of things going on. And especially if you've got stuff that's moved into the background, you're not readily accessing it. If you come back to it, it can pull that back very, very quickly. So it becomes less of an issue for most day-to-day applications. And we all know that Apple's cost for memory upgrades can be expensive. Um, It's an extra $400 for each 16 gigabytes of additional memory you want, say, on a MacBook Pro configuration. So you get the base configuration. It has either 16 or 32. If you want to bump up, you're going to be paying $400 kind of for each tier, and that can really bump up the price of your machine. So you know, is that necessary? Do do they need that? And what I like to look at is really real world tests. And, you know, a couple sources have done real world testing on new Apple Silicon M1, M2 machines, places like Mac Rumors, YouTubers like Max Tech. And what they really show is that in most cases, for all but the very heaviest workloads, Uh, Things like if you're doing multiple streams of 4K, 8K video editing or, you know, really, really intense 3D renders and those sorts of things. 
in all but those kinds of cases, if you're just talking about, you know, doing kind of Photoshop editing or Lightroom stuff or, you know, uh, basic programming, those sorts of things, having 32 gigabytes of RAM versus 16 really only tends to make kind of now with the new architecture, a marginal difference in most workflows, not all, but most workflows. So at the end of the day, to kind of directly answer your question, Andy, I think for most people, you're going to be okay now with the stock configurations that uh, Apple offers for a Mac. You know, typically you're going to be looking at a Mac in terms of kind of that (laughs) almost t-shirt size kind of uh, configuration the way Apple does it. You have, you know, good, better, best, I think is what they used to use back in the day. And I think that's still a pretty good analogy. So they put together, you know, the lowest cost machine, which is a pretty good machine for most people. And then they have the one that's a little bit better and that's your mid tier, mid range machine. And then they have the best configuration, which is more for the higher end performance kind of applications. And so if you're falling into one of those ranges, I think they're coming now configured the way that most people are going to use them. And most people are going to be fine with that configuration without any customizations. Um, Now, I think folks who have really, really intense workflows know they have really, really intense workflows. And those are the people who are going to go in and customize and upgrade and max that system out. So if you're not falling in that range or in that mindset, I guess is what I'm saying, then you're probably going to be okay with Apple's, you know, default configuration. So if you feel like, hey, I'm kind of a medium level user, get that medium level configuration, probably going to come with the exact right amount of RAM, whether that's 16 gigabytes or 32 gigabytes, say with a uh, a MacBook Pro, you're probably going to be right in that range of, of what you need. Um, so I think most people are going to be okay with buying that. I think if you're going to spend extra cash now, um, Spending more on probably GPU, maybe CPU might be a little better place to focus your upgrades. If you're looking for more performance, uh, more so than the RAM these days, that's probably some people are going to debate me on that, but that's kind of how I'm feeling at this point. So, you know, bump up the GPU, CPU, go for that next tier of configuration. And guess what? You're likely to get more RAM along with that anyway. Again, Apple has kind of configured these things in a way that, I think makes a lot of sense. Now, that said, there are some other things to consider when you're looking at upgrades and getting more RAM and things like that. And so future-proofing longevity. So yeah, your 16 gigs today might not be adequate five years, six years, seven years from now. So if you're the type of person who keeps a machine for a really, really long time, might be worth considering making that upfront investment. Uh, You have resale value. So if you're the type of person that wants to get value back out of your machine, we know that higher end configured machines, both in terms of storage and RAM and all that sort of stuff, tend to retain their value better. So you'll get more back out of it if you're in that kind of space. And like I said, super intense workloads. If you if you know if you're doing applications where you're doing high end video with massive video streams and you need to have multiple channels of that or you know tons of channels of audio something that's really going to absorb all of the ram for a single application for sort of a, a single workflow yeah you're definitely going to want to get as much ram as you possibly can cuz even with all those performance enhancements you know at the end of the day, having the RAM there, the physical RAM that you need is going to be better than 
you know, relying on the operating system or these other technologies to kind of manage it. Now, again, it's better than it used to be, but still not perfect for those massive, massive workloads. So just be aware of that. Um, Andy also asked about uh, SSD storage, you know, the flash storage there. I think the old adage still applies. I would get as much as you can afford again for longevity reasons. And also just for the fact that we all know you're going to fill up whatever you have, right? <laughs> whatever storage you, you tend to have, you tend to fill up. If you're not in that camp, then you maybe don't need to get as much. But I think most of us, that's what we end up doing, right? You just keep adding files on there the longer you use it. We don't, we're, not, we're not really good at cleaning up, right? Let's, let's be honest. We don't like to have to take things off. We like to keep everything stored on our machines. So get as much as you can afford. Um, it's also good just to have that extra space for, you know, some of the other things like the memory architecture and, and, and those sorts of things. But yeah, I don't, I don't worry about it too much anymore. Um, like I said, I think a lot of the configurations sort of out of the box are going to meet, meet the needs for probably 75, 80% of the people. And then those of you who are in that other group, right, you know who you are and you're going to configure your machine the way you want. So that's my opinion. I'm sure others in the community have opinions that may differ or may be the same. If you do, shoot me some feedback, send me an email, maccast at gmail.com. Now, I am not into crypto or Bitcoin or any of those sorts of things. Um, you may or may not be. Uh, but I found out something interesting this week that uh, regardless of uh, whether you are a crypto person or not, turns out if you're running macOS Mojave or later, that you might actually have a Bitcoin white paper from Satoshi Nakamoto on your Mac. And you might be going, well, why? I didn't put that there. And why would Apple put that there? Yeah, very, very interesting. This was discovered by developer Andy Bayo from Waxy.org. It, he was working on or fixing a printer issue. Uh, this is according to a piece I saw over on iMore and ran across this file. I think there have actually been reports about this other places in the past, but this is the first time I was made aware of it and found out about it. And turns out there is a file inside an application called Virtual Scanner, which is part of the image capture app for your Mac. And uh, this is the thing that allows you to uh, use scanners uh, with current modern Macs. And inside there, there is this white paper. You can actually get to it using a terminal command, or you could go through the finder, uh, through the through the Go menu. Uh, you actually have to go into System Library, into Image Capture. So this is from the root system. So root system, root library, uh, the Image Capture application, and then you'll see devices. And inside the devices folder, there's an app called virtualscanner.app. Um, you can right-click on that and choose show package contents to drill into that app. And this is where the file is. It's kind of hidden inside this app package. So go into contents, resources, and you'll find simpledoc.pdf. And if you open that up, that is this uh, sort of famous white paper from Satoshi Nakamoto, who is supposedly or some people I think believe is the creator of Bitcoin. I think there's a little mystery around that too. I'm not, again, I'm not a huge Bitcoin person. So some of you are probably going, Hey, you're getting that wrong, but you know, you can let me know that sort of background if you want. So there's this file there and uh, people are like, well, so why, why is that there? That's like a really weird 
thing. And, and turns out no one knows 100% for sure. It was likely left there as, I guess, kind of an Easter egg by the developers who worked on image capture. I don't know if it was an intentional Easter egg. I kind of feel like it was maybe just left there accidentally. And supposedly Apple engineers know it's there, but they've never bothered to go in and remove it. So my guess is they were doing some testing of the software. They happened to use this this document or this file and create this PDF, and they just kind of left it there. Um, nobody really noticed it until now and likely now, since it's received attention, maybe Apple will remove it. I hope not. Cause I think it's kind of a interesting little piece of lore. Uh, we have those in our community, right? So I don't know. It's there. It's now received a lot of attention. Uh, you're aware of it cause I've shared it with you. If you didn't know about it already, it was kind of all over the news this week. So if you're following the blogs, you might already know. Uh, but FYI also in the same folder, uh, there is an image called cover.jpg that shows a blue wall with kind of a faded number zero sign on it. And then there's an alarm sign warning sticker. Uh, it turns out that image, it seems like came from Alcatraz Island in San Francisco. So again, maybe one of the developers was uh, over there, took a picture and uh, included that in the scanner uh, as well. So yeah, interesting little discovery hidden inside your Mac. Again, if you've been running a Mac OS Mojave or later. So check that out if you want, or uh, just be just be aware of it. And then I'm not really sure what's going on uh, with iCloud right now, and specifically iCloud syncing, because I had at least two emails this week from listeners in our community who are having issues with specifically iCloud documents syncing. Uh, and this is, uh, what they're having is documents that are either slow to sync or don't appear to be syncing at all. And in at least one case, uh, the listener said that uh, despite having everything set correctly, it feels like documents are getting pushed into iCloud but not staying local to his Mac. So turning off optimized Mac storage and uh, still having documents and desktop items that uh, have a cloud icon next to them, uh, which seems to indicate to them that they're actually in, in iCloud. Well, turns out just having a cloud icon may or may not mean that the file is stored in iCloud or not stored locally. And I think that is maybe causing a little bit of confusion. Um, I did a review of my iCloud setup and I too have some folders that have just a little cloud icon on it. And I thought that, well, that's strange. I thought, you know, if it was local to my Mac, it wouldn't show that. And in the same folders and directories, I have a number of files that don't have little iCloud icons next to them. Uh, though I did go verify that the stuff that I expect to be in iCloud is in iCloud. So let's talk a little bit about what that icon means and those options. I'll have a link to an Apple support article that lays this all out in detail if you want to go read the full details. Um, but basically, there's a number of different little cloud icons. So if you've turned on uh, iCloud Drive or uh, Documents, Desktop and Documents in iCloud, um, if you go to those folders, you'll see different little icons potentially next to your files, and they can mean different things. So if you see a uh, cloud icon with a little pointing down arrow, like a download arrow, that's the indicator that that file 
exists only in iCloud. So it's up in iCloud. It's not stored locally. You're going to have to click that icon to actually pull the, pull the file down from iCloud. Now, if you see just a solid outline of a cloud next to a document, that means it's downloaded. And I think that's where this and, and stored locally on the Mac. Now, I think this is where maybe some of the confusion comes into play because I, I noticed that a lot of my files that are on my Mac in those folders don't have an iCloud icon or a cloud icon next to them at all. They're still up in iCloud, um, but it seems like more recent stuff that I've interacted with or uploaded. So like recent episodes of the show, uh, those seem to have the cloud icons next to them, but it, it tends to be a little bit incon inconsistent. So this is the thing that I think some people will want to go check. And then if you have a uh, cloud icon with a slash through it, um, that means that that file for some reason is ineligible to be in iCloud. I'm not really sure what those rules are. We might have to dig into that into another episode, but that means that file wasn't able to be synced. I think there's certain kinds of files that you you can't sync up to iCloud. Um, if you see an iCloud icon with a little dotted line or a dashed line around it, that says waiting to upload. Um, now, again, I have some I, I have some files and folders that have that icon next to them. And again, I verified that they're up in, in iCloud. So there could be an issue with that icon, maybe not syncing up. Um, and we'll talk about some things you might be able to try to get things unstuck. And then uh, if you have an iCloud icon with a little exclamation point in the center of it, that means you are out of space, out of storage space. And this is a common one uh, for folks, especially if you haven't updated or upgraded your iCloud storage. You could run out of space. I mean, five gigabytes is still, I think, unfortunately, the stock that Apple gives you for free. I think they should increase that. But uh, that's just my opinion. Uh, but you can run out of that storage space pretty quickly. So just be aware of that if you're seeing a little exclamation point. And then as files are actually uploading or syncing, you'll get a little that little pie chart icon next to it to kind of show you the uh, show you the sync process. So those are called all the little icons that you might see. Um, for you know setting up a Mac, and I think we talked about this, and this was kind of the big issue for, I think for both of these listeners, is they both wanted to have the setup where locally on their Mac, all the files were stored locally so that they could have local backups, which we've talked about on the show. Very, very good, important thing, you know, specifically like a time machine backup. Um, so when you set up uh, iCloud syncing or iCloud documents, specifically on a Mac, but I think you can also do this on your, I yeah, I know you can also do this on your iOS devices, but uh, you have an option where you can choose how you want your device to basically, or your Mac, manage storage of your cloud files. And the two options are optimize my storage or don't optimize my storage, basically. So you can turn on optimize storage. And if you turn on optimize storage, what that means is, is that the operating system is going to decide what lives in iCloud and what lives locally on your device. And basically, newer stuff is going to live on your device. But as you run out of storage space on that device, what the operating system will decide to do is take older stuff that it knows has already synced and already lives in iCloud and it will delete the local copies of that data. And that gets a little bit scary for folks like me who want to have backups of everything because obviously if it's only stored up in iCloud, 
you can't make a local backup of that. You can't back it up to Backblaze. You can't back it up to Time Machine or Carbon Copy Cloner or Super Duper or anything like that. So a lot of us, and, and these listeners included, want to have a Mac that's going to do backups that has a copy of every file. So to do that, you want to make sure that the optimized storage option is turned off when you turn on iCloud syncing. And so the key to this is to go into iCloud settings and make sure that that optimize Mac storage option is flicked off. And that means that it's going to keep the local copies and then also sync stuff up to iCloud and sync stuff back down, but you'll always have a local copy and then you'll be able to do that backup. So let's get to a little bit of the troubleshooting. So we're noticing these different things with the icons and stuff like that. One of the first troubleshooting steps that I think I do, or I know that I do, is to log into iCloud.com and make sure that the files are all there, that they're accessible, that I can open them, um, log into another device maybe, and make sure that you know the file is accessible and synced down. And that can kind of validate that you know even though, like I was saying with my my system, it was showing that uh, the files were still waiting to upload. I could still access them and access all their data. So to me, that says, all right, it's already synced up to iCloud. It, it's there. If you have the file locally too, you could you know, copy it out of iCloud. You could move it around. You can make sure that it's actually there stored locally on your system. Um, you can open them on your Mac. You can click the cloud icon to kind of force a download if uh, you have the little download arrow on there. Another thing you want to make sure to check is your date and time settings. I think for most of us, this is set automatically. Uh, that's kind of the default on your Mac. But if you've tweaked your date time settings or your date time settings are off, that can mess with the syncing. So uh, definitely check that. Uh, and uh, in most cases, you know, maybe a restart or a reboot might be required. Uh, you could try that. That can usually unstick things. Uh, check your internet connection and your connectivity. Obviously, uh, maybe you're having an internet connection issue. Uh, you can check, you know, iCloud is not often down, but can be down sometimes. So check Apple's status page. Make sure there's no current issues with iCloud. Um, but yeah, and, and then the other thing, I think a really good check for verifying that your files are local is, you know, put your put your Mac into or your device into airplane mode or turn off your Wi-Fi connection or your internet connection and just validate that you can open and access the files that you need in there. And that will definitely validate that uh, that you have a local copy. Now, if you don't have a local copy and just sort of, you know, forcing the download or playing with the settings doesn't really work in the most extreme cases, um, and I've had to do this, uh, you might have to reset your iCloud settings or your iCloud account, logging out of iCloud, logging back in, and this could be a little bit scary. Obviously, you want to make sure that you have a local backup of all your files and data, and this is where it can get scary. If you think you don't have local copies, you're really going to want to validate that um, and make sure uh, or at least that you can access those files from another device or computer. Again, make sure they're in iCloud. Uh, but yeah, uh, hopefully you have backups of all your data before you know, having to try this. But you can turn off iCloud Documents and Desktop, or you can turn off iCloud Drive or sign out of iCloud to reset it. 
Uh, note that when you sign out of iCloud or turn these services off, it's going to probably prompt you and ask you, do you want to keep your data on your Mac? You're going to want to keep that local data so that when you reconnect and set everything back up, you can sync and merge that data back in. So keep your local copies. Um, turning off iCloud documents and desktop or iCloud Drive, um, you know, choose to keep the iCloud files. And then when you turn that off, a couple different things can happen. If you turn off desktop documents, uh, desktop and documents is going to stay under the iCloud drive locally. It's also going to create new desktop and documents folders inside the home folder on your Mac. So when you turn on iCloud documents and desktops, it basically moves those two folders from your home folder into iCloud and then starts syncing them. And then they'll live there uh, permanently. And this can confuse people a little bit because we're used to having documents and desktop in our home folder. With iCloud Drive, it changes that sort of dynamic. And so when you turn it off, it does the opposite. But what it does is it leaves the documents and desktops and all your files in iCloud. It's just turned off and no longer syncing. And then it creates a desktop and document folder in in your home folder again, and you have to manually move that stuff back. In this case, if you're just resetting iCloud, you probably don't want to do that because what you're going to do is you're going to turn that back on or you're going to re-sign into iCloud and then everything should sync back up. It should be aware of, hey, you've already got those files there. It'll go a lot quicker. So just be aware of that. Now, if you turn off iCloud Drive or sign out of iCloud, a local copy of your files in iCloud Drive are actually copied to a folder called iCloud Drive Archive in your home folder. So those will get copied over. And these are things like uh, files from your iOS applications and things like that. So you are going to have to mess around with that a little bit. And then when you, like I said, when you re-enable iCloud, iCloud Drive, or iCloud Documents and Desktop, assuming you left everything in place and everything's where it should be, it should just start merging data again. And hopefully everything will resync. Be aware that that can take a while. And again, make sure you have backups before trying any of this. I can't, I, I can't emphasize that anymore. It's going to be very, very important um, that you have backups of your files because I definitely don't want you to lose anything. And you know, messing around with syncing can always be a little bit, a little bit risky. So hopefully you don't have to take it that far. For the most part, um, I've been using iCloud Documents and Desktop for years now and not run into any issues, uh, knock on wood. Uh, hopefully you're not having issues, but it sounds like a couple of people in our community are. So those are kind of my tips and recommendations. I'm sure there's other ones out there. Um, I'm sure there's people that have uh, you know experience in our community with this and getting things back up and running again. If you have a hint, a tip, a trick, a piece of advice, please share that with us. Send your emails and audio comments to mattcast at gmail.com. But with that, that is going to do it for the show for this week. I want to take a quick moment and thank a couple of our show supporters. Bandwidth for the Matcast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the Matcast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at backbeatmedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM9, and you can leave a voicemail there. 
If you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you'll find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash maccast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the maccast or find me on Instagram, just maccast on Instagram. But that will do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon. Yeah.